you know, it's healthy to have a fluctuation in weight across your different seasons. And if you realize that and you accept it, that's going to make things a whole lot easier. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast, Power by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and this week we've got an in-depth conversation for y'all on body composition and nutritional needs for competitive cyclists. To preface the episode, none of us are registered dietitians or certified nutritionists, but if you want to learn more about your daily nutritional needs or have body composition goals in mind, please reach out to nutrition at ignitioncoachco.com to set up a consultation with our nutrition coach, Savannah. Today's show is also brought to you by Full Formulas. Everyone here at Ignition leans heavily on flow formulas for everyday training and race fueling needs. So if you too want to give it a try, or if you already subscribe to their products and need to re-up your inventory, head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IgnitionPodcast10 for 10% off your order. And as always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, drop us an email at matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title the Matchbox Podcast, or you can head over to ignitioncoachco.com and fill out the Matchbox Podcast listener question form. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, first topic this week, uh, we got a question that came in from Kim. Kim says, good afternoon. I'm in the off season and concentrating on good nutrition plus fueling my rides and my weight is dropping. I was at 80 kilograms mid-year and now I'm down to 76 and still dropping. I understand that scales aren't the best guide uh, as, as using weekly averages. My fat percent is now at 13.5%. What is a good number for an endurance cyclist mountain bike slash gravel as far as body fat percentage goes? And they want to know what your body fat percentage is, Dylan. Me specifically, just, not anyone else Dylan. on the podcast. No, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, they say just just you. Well, depends on if you're a male or a female because, uh, you know, females body fat percentage is higher. And also it depends on the person. Um you know, there there is a point at which your body fat percentage gets too so low that it starts negatively affecting your hormones. Um, so that's definitely something to keep in mind of. Uh, what was what was this person's original question? Uh, so they're they're just wondering what is a good body fat percentage. Basically, what uh, is a, they're in the off season. They're they're, wor- they're yeah. What's like what's a target body f- or what's a you know body fat percentage range? So for endurance and athletes, this person is measuring their body fat percentage with a bathroom scale. Correct. That, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, not the most <laughs> accurate way to do it. Although I, I have a I have a scale that that does body fat percentage. Uh, through the scale as well. I think it, I think they do it through electrical impedance. Um, and at, at the very least, if I see a number every morning and it, I can see whether it's going up or down, it could give me some rough idea of whether my body fat percentage is going up or down. Maybe that's not, maybe that's not an accurate, uh, body fat, uh, percentage, but at least it's giving me some idea of the trends of whether my body fat percentage is going up or down. So I think you could probably use it for that. If you're, if the scale is saying your body fat percentage is 13%, I would take that with a heavy grain of, grain of salt. It, it may be, it may not be. Um, you know, is it, is it worth getting your body fat percentage tested? Um, 
you know, with, uh, in a more accurate way, like, a you know, going to a lab or something, uh, you know, I don't know, probably not because you probably can't do that on a regular enough basis to track progress. So I think probably using the scale is fine because at the end of the day, you're trying to track progress. It doesn't really matter what the absolute number is. Um, just, just as an example, you're asking what, body fat percentage is good for cyclists. I mean, Chris Froome published his data when he got his body fat percentage done. And I think it was 9% or something. And have you seen Chris Froome? He looks like a, he looks like a skeleton. He looks like he hasn't eaten in two months. (laughs) So, you know, I I think people would actually be shocked at how high a body fat percentage, a healthy body fat percentage is because for some reason, uh, TV shows and movies like to throw around super low numbers when there's a ripped jacked guy, you know, like some ripped jacked guy shows up on screen. He's like, Oh, my body fat percentage is 4%. It's not 4%, you know, 4% is you're, you're either close to death or you can see absolutely every muscle fiber in the person's body. Um, and every bone for that matter. So 13, I mean, 13% is, is honestly, that's that's if if you are actually 13% and again take it with a grain of salt but 13% body fat is for men uh in the range that is probably on the higher end of the range for what uh you know high level racers are at Damn, and for stop women around the bush just say some numbers dude men <laughs> should probably it, like optimal probably like 8 to 12 women probably like 12 to 16 right isn't that about accurate yeah, I would say I so. Uh, women, women yeah, might be a little, little higher, higher for women. Yeah, women yeah. might be a. That's the like, but that's the point. Like the women are, yeah, a little bit higher. Yeah, thirteen yeah. percent for a woman would be really low. Yeah, that's what exactly what I was thinking yeah. when she said thirteen percent was like. I think that's on the low end. It's in. I think it's in the like probably optimal. So but I wouldn't. Kim is a male. I don't think I. Would. Kim doesn't say, but I'm pretty sure Kim is a male. Is this a male or a female? Do we know? I believe this is a male, but we don't know. But okay. we can talk generally okay. here. So we'll sure. cover both. Yeah. Um, 13's probably good for either way. If it's 13 for a guy, you're probably like pretty optimal. Maybe you could get a little less, but for women, I probably wouldn't want to go any less than that. That's that's pretty so close. So I, I looked to, up uh, essential body fat. So Dylan, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of talking like, you know, what what is like the minimum? You know, you're, you're, you're spitting out like 4% that you see you guys on YouTube talking about. Like that would be like super low. So like essential body fat percentage for... Uh, men. So this is, is just in the range of two to five percent living. Yeah, or maybe I mean, arguably unhealthy. No, two to, living, but two to five percent for for bodily essential, function. Essential, okay. like essential two to five percent. They're talking about let, like if you went any lower living, than that, you would die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Yeah. So yeah. So for men, it's in the range of two to five percent, and then women's ten to thirteen percent actually. Mm-hmm. So it's even okay. higher. Yeah. In my mind, yeah. that means if you get there, it's unsustainable. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, that's the, a great way to the thing it. is, especially for an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing is, people are different, right? So what's unsustainable for one person is maybe sustainable for another person. Uh, you know, some people sit at 8% and they feel fine. Some people, 8% is they're constantly starving. You know, they they can't go a minute of the day without thinking about food. So, you know. There's, there's right, a what's your, yes. what's yours, Dylan? Come on, spit it out. <laughs> well, I haven't gotten my body fat percentage tested in a lab, 
but my Ooh. scale tells me that it's 10 to 12 when I step on it. Same. I think mine's like, mine's no, I think it's like, mine's like, yeah, nine to 11, mm. but it's most of the time <laughs> just, like rider. Just had to go one lower. <laughs> I know, I'm just, I've never seen it. I've never seen it under nine and I've never seen it over 11. So I, that's the range. Yeah. I've never seen it over 11, but it usually stays like 10 something. Yeah. My, my, my scale could just be different than yours. Like it's yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll add the link to the reference here. Uh, in the show notes, but uh, I found a chart that for cyclists, so male male cyclists, five to fifteen percent is typical, mm-hmm. and for female cyclists, fifteen to twenty percent. Yeah, makes sense. Um, for, so for context, cyclists and marathon runners, or, you know, or just maybe runners in general, probably everything except sprinters, um, are are the lowest as far as uh, athletes. No average. Average athlete, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, body fat Makes percentage. Sense. I mean, I'm uh, a marathon. The high, the high end is is actually lower. It's eleven percent instead of fifteen percent. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm, which makes sense. I mean, I would say that if you if you're actually at thirteen percent, which again, you're using a bathroom scale, so that may not be accurate. You're on the you're on the higher end of the range that's very competitive. So, I mean, yeah. there could easily be riders in the world tour. Uh, Peloton that have a 13% body fat, not the climbers, but the sprinters, you know, and the, and the classics riders and the, the guys who power away on the flats. Yeah, for sure. I think the whole, like talking about weight conversation is sometimes a hard conversation to have. And, but I think as coaches, it's something that we have to talk about because cycling weight plays a huge factor in cycling. Uh, yeah. I mean, I usually don't talk about it unless the athlete wants to talk about it. Yeah. Like I'm not going to, I'm like not going to huge red flag. Yeah, sure. I'm not going to bring up to like, an athlete. Hey, like you're looking a little, you know, maybe we yeah, should talk right, about it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but if I'm an athlete bring... asks you, if an athlete asks you, well, what, what else can I do to get better? And that's a big yeah, sure. uh, thing. Then you should, that should be something that you should mention. Yeah, no. Yeah, or or another way to put it is when an athlete comes to you and says, I want to get to four watts per kilo. Mm-hmm. Like as a coach, you're you're probably more focused on improving their fitness or their you know their power output yeah. versus trying to reduce their overall weight, yeah. you know, or improve their body composition to meet that goal. And and I will say that if their goal is to lose a significant amount of weight, as a cycling coach, we can we can give them suggestions, but if mm-hmm. it's a huge struggle for them and they are looking for professional advice, then they should probably see a dietitian about that. Yeah. Right. And lucky enough for them, we we have a dietitian or a registered yeah. nutritionist. Sure she, she's getting uh, a master's degree in dietetics, so I'm pretty sure she's registered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She can she it's within yep. her range of scope or whatever that phrase is to to give people like specific dietary uh guidelines and advice and all that. I mean, I can give guidelines and advice. I can't tell somebody exactly what to eat. Like that our range of scope ends at advice. A dietitian can go one step further into giving somebody a meal plan. That's like yeah, the so big I, difference I for, between I I always forget which one it is, but there's nutritionists and there's dietitians. And one of them is like, you could, you could just call yourself a, 
I, I think that it's nutritionist. Yeah. Yeah. You could just call yourself a nutritionist and then, and then, right. uh, start collecting checks from people. But a dietitian <laughs> is you, you know, you have to be yeah, certified you you through an education product. And a, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And the big difference between those two is a dietitian can give you a meal plan. A nutritionist can only give you coaching. Yeah. Guidelines. But mm-hmm. honestly, I think that that's better. Like I would rather have somebody give me guidelines that I can sustain on my own, even after the coaching ends versus a meal plan where I have to follow exactly what somebody tells me to eat. I personally, I would much rather have the overarching like rules than like, you know what I mean? Like that saying where it says, uh, the whole lead a horse to water or whatever, or no, 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 that's the wrong one. The, the, the fish, the fish one where you could give a guy a fish or you can teach him how to fish. Uh, I want to be taught how to fish, not just given a fish. Sure. So for you guys, you know, everyone here, are there different points in the season in which case you are more concerned with, you know, body composition? Like, are you, are you ever trying to reduce body fat or, you know, optimize body composition? Uh, throughout the season or are you kind of just letting your body settle where it is and fueling your your work basically um so i think that a huge mistake that cyclists generally make is that they in the pursuit of being lighter and lighter and lighter you know there's a never-ending pursuit to be as light and as powerful as possible um they really miss out on fueling and they don't fuel their rides properly and they don't fuel their recovery properly. And they probably hinder their performance, uh, even more than the, you know, marginal amount lighter that they are. Uh, because a lot, if you're, if you're a healthy, active person, um, some, sometimes it can be quite challenging to lose a small amount of weight because you're already at such a low weight and such a low body fat percentage. The lighter, you get and the leaner you get, the harder it is to lose weight. So, you know, you could talk about all this, you know, all this headache to lose a couple of pounds and slower recovery and not as well fueled workouts. Um, and personally, I mean, personally for myself, I'll, this is the, this right now, as we're speaking, this is being recorded the day after Christmas. I'm the heaviest that I'll be all year. Uh, I'm pushing a hundred, I'm up, I'm pushing 160 wow. pounds right now. Whoa. And that's, that's not, the, <laughs> that's I'm not the first kidding. time that, that this happens almost every year. I'm, I'm, just I'm so, dude, I don't even like, I'm so not concerned about it because it happens every single year after I've gone through a full gym cycle and haven't been riding that much. And w- when I get into base season and the gym training starts to taper off, the weight comes off without me even trying, but I know there are a lot of people that don't fall into that camp. That was Dylan's way of making sure that you all know that he didn't put on Christmas weight. He put on gym weight. (laughs) (laughs) He's just so muscular right now. Yeah. So, and Dylan, what you're saying is that that's, that's intentional. Like you're, I mean, I'm not, I'm also, I'm also probably not trying to gain weight. I'm not trying to gain weight and I'm not trying to lose weight. It just naturally happens that my body, especially after I've gone through two months of gym work, my body gains, Mm -hmm. you know, five to 10 pounds. Uh, but it is once I start base training it, I don't even, I don't have to restrict anything. I don't have to try. It just naturally comes off. 
And, and are you changing your nutrition during this phase at all? Are you keeping your nutrition intake pretty, pretty constant? I would say it's pretty similar. The big change is that because I'm not riding as much, I'm not taking in nearly as many carbohydrates per day, partially just because I'm not taking in those carbohydrates on the bike. Because when I, I, I'm at, mm-hmm. at this point, I'm fully on the, the 90 plus grams of carbs per hour while I'm riding train, even during endurance rides. If I'm, if I'm in a heavy training cycle, like the base training cycle that's coming up, I'm, the amount of extra carbohydrates that I'm consuming today just goes through the roof because of how many carbohydrates I'm consuming on the bike. Sure. I think something that Dylan said that's really important and to quote my boy, MC Spandex, it's all about performance because a lot of people get like caught up with the whole like number on the scale thing. And they think, Oh, if I bring down my weight that raises my Watts per kilogram and all this. And in the, in the search or the hunt for that, they, their performance is also going down with that number on the scale. And I think if that's happening, then it's like a losing battle. I mean, like if you're forfeiting performance, you're, you, you've, you've lost sight of the ultimate goal. And a lot of times I think, uh, yeah, focusing on the power number, <clears throat> you know, if you if you're, th- if you're thinking about Watts per kilogram, yeah. Like the more beneficial thing to focus on is how do I get stronger? Not how do I get lighter? I mean, it, cases, it, dep- I think. it depends on the person, right? There, there, yeah. there are people that we coach that legitimately have quite a bit of weight to lose. And that would be a significant improvement to their performance if they lost a significant, significant amount of weight. Yeah, true. It, it, like I said, it, it just it depends. Yeah. Definitely. It definitely depends on the person. It depends on, I mean, going back to how we started this discussion with body fat. I mean, it depends on what your starting body fat percentage is. If we take the the uh, listener who's asking the question as an example at 13%, I mean, I would say there is some, if that is an accurate number, again, caveat, uh, if that is an accurate number, there is some weight to lose, but there's not a massive amount to lose by any means. And then I would say that, you know, any lower than that, and it's I, at that point, I would say weight loss is not a focus of the training. Caitlin, is there any specific thing, advice that you want to speak towards female athletes in this regard? Um, I would say a combination of both what you said and what Dylan said, you know, as a female that got started in sports and in middle school as a cross country runner, like I've been tracking my weight for 15 years. And I would say in the last five years, I've finally accepted that, you know, it's healthy to have a fluctuation in weight across your different seasons. And if you realize that and you accept it, that's going to make things a whole lot easier. Like I still hold, hold to a, a personal racing weight goal. And I know that that's not sustainable, but I know when I'm peaking, I'll, I'll be able to hang on to that for, um, well, I wouldn't even say peaking, but like when I'm in my race season, like I can hold on to that for like four weeks. And then after that, that's, that's not the weight that I just walk around at. Like that takes effort to get there, but it's not sustainable. And this time of year, I'm not even set like during uh base season, like, well, that should be base season right now, but um, like right now <laughs> I'm not even, I'm not even getting on the scale. Um, but in season, yeah, I track it. Um, because I, I realize right now, like, it's just, you know, there are too many variables. Like there's not 
as high volume on the bike. There's the strength training. There is, um, I am doing uh, creatine as well. So yeah, there there are too many factors. There's holiday eating, and I just life's about balance, you know. So yeah, I will. I think I will say the the creatine. I've I have looked more into creatine since I've started taking it, and I have become a complete believer in creatine. Not just for the performance benefits, but for the just general health benefits of creatine. It's actually crazy. It's I, I almost for, think it's a supp- been this supplement. For, been say, we've been saying this for a year, and now finally Dylan reads some research article, what? and he's like, <laughs> "You never told me that creatine had any health benefits whatsoever." I've been taking creatine for like over a year. Yeah, but I'm not going to take it for, because it's good you. For, I'm not going to be shaky because, because you, you that I'm a it. smart. I'm a smart guy. You should think. You should think. Well, if Dill, if if Dizzle's doing it, then he's a smart guy. I should probably do what he does. Let's not get into the creatine talk, but I mentioned yeah. that but, because when you are taking it, you do hold extra water weight. That's yeah. That's that's what I was. That's what I was going to mention. I I will probably stop taking it in race season just to be you know a little bit lighter, um, especially if I'm training for a climbing race that being said maybe if it's a, a flat race that i think will probably come down to a sprint finish maybe i will take it leading up to that race um so but uh i don't know where i was going with that yeah i i was just going to mention that the creatine does add a little bit of water weight but i i think it's absolutely worth it in the off season personally the only thing the other thing i was going to add to the whole conversation is uh i don't think it's bad to to weigh yourself like some people are like oh don't weigh yourself like but I like the phrase, what gets measured gets managed. And it's been proven that if you step on the scale and see the number every day, even if you're not trying to lose weight, you're going to be a little bit more cautious or uh, yeah. not cautious. You're going to be a little bit more cognizant thoughtful about cognizant. That's the word of what you're eating and all of it um, just by stepping on the scale, even unintentionally, uh, because yeah. what gets measured gets managed. I yeah for sure one hundred percent agree with that. I weigh myself every single morning, and I know a lot of people they get scared to step on the scale because they have been eating too much, and they're like, I don't, I don't even want to see the number. Just look at the number. You know, it's it's not. I I know that this the the weight topic becomes emotional for some people, but it's to me the the number on the scale is just like looking at my HRV in the morning, just like looking at my resting heart rate, uh, just like looking at the amount of sleep I got. I'm just taking in all of these numbers in the morning to try to assess uh, what I need to be doing with my training. This is this is just more yeah. data points to to steer me in the right direction. No, you have to look at it objectively. I mean, it's the same as, you know, when, when athletes don't want to test their FTP during the base season or, you know, before the base season, because they're like, ah, it's, it's too low. I don't, I don't want to know. It's like, you have to know what it is because you need a starting point. You need some kind of reference. You need to, you need to be able to measure improvement. So you have to start somewhere. And yeah, I mean, that's the more objective you can look at those numbers, the the better off you're going to be and and that's actually kind of the situation I've been in lately like Drew you're talking about uh like if you're not if you're not you know looking at it if you're not you know checking in then you're not going to you know manage it um I went like a month after Schwam again after I kind of stopped riding and didn't like look at my weight or anything and I gained like eight pounds oh wow and I was like like it was an, it was enough to where it was like concerning. I was like, yeah, this is, and I could feel it too. It wasn't like I was gaining weight and like feeling super good. I was like, oh, I'm not feeling super I th- great. I thought you said you so don't like I've been gain checking in. I've been trying weight. to like 
I don't usually, but I also train, yeah, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week. Sure. So when you, when you drop your training by 60 to 70%, it's like, yeah, uh, maybe, maybe that statement <laughs> doesn't apply. So, but I, I like, I haven't really lost weight. I haven't, it hasn't come off, but it hasn't come on. You know, I get, mm-hmm. I've been pretty stable. So, um, like it's, and it's been a way for me to just like, okay, hold myself accountable. I'm like tracking some of my nutrition a bit better. Yeah. Um, and I'm not getting like bummed out about it. I don't know if it's going to come off because I don't know if I'm ever going to put in another 20 hour week again. Um, but at some point it probably will, you know, some of it will, will come off. Um, or maybe with some of the other activities I'm doing, it's, it's going to be, a, you know, a, a stable, optimal weight anyways. Well, you know, I'll find out, but, um, it's good for me to like check in on it because it, when I'm not checking, like apparently if I don't check in on it for a month or two at a time, it gets a little out of hand. So you just don't, you know, you don't want to like let slip through the cracks like that if you can manage it. I, I'm sure there's a listener right now who's thinking, okay, you guys are talking about a lot about the optimal body fat percentage and looking at the scale, but what do I actually do if I want to lose weight? I I am too high body fat percentage and I do have 10 to 20 pounds to lose. What what do I need to do? Um, I think that the the thing to keep in mind is that if you uh if you if you're going into the mindset of I'm going to try to res- eat the same thing that I'm eating but less of it, restrict calories, you're going to be hungry all the time and that's a super unsustainable way to live in general. And it's it's just not going to work. You can't live in a constant state of hunger. Um, some of the research on weight loss that has shown promising results is when people uh, increase or, or decrease the caloric density of their diet, meaning that per weight of food, there's less calories. And it actually shows that people can end up eating the same amount, but less calories and still feel full. And so one of the best ways to do that also just so happens to be one of the healthiest ways to eat. And that's by trying to eat as few processed foods as possible. Because processed foods have a super high calorie density and minimally to non-processed foods have a super low calorie density. Um, For example, making sure that your, you know, your dinner plate is mostly taken up by vegetables, uh, eating a lot of fruit, uh, fruits and vegetables are the lowest calorie density food groups. So, um, being conscious of that, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't necessarily try to change the amount you eat. I would try to lower the calorie density. Yeah, I agree with that. I would. Yeah, you, you, you have to. Yeah, you have to be satiated with your, you know, with your nutrition intake, or else, yeah, you're just going to be hungry all the time. You're, you're going. It's going to affect your mood. Then you're going to end up like with these cravings that are you know, unmanageable and then you end up binging, like it's, it's, it, it gets challenging. Whereas yeah, if you're feeling your like your satiation, then you're satisfied. Like you, you've eaten enough, you feel good, but you're like, you're talking about like your, your caloric intake, which is like at the end of the day, if you're looking at just weight loss, like calories in versus calories, out, I mean, that's like pretty much the basis of it. Um, as far as weight loss goes. So if you can consume less calories through those lower cal- caloric density foods, then you know that's going to be how you're going to manage it. And I would, I would track calories as well and, and measure just to kind of recalibrate um, your perception portion sizes. Because somebody could say, oh, well, I just had a protein shake and an apple with peanut butter for lunch, and that was like 300 calories. Well, you know, your two tablespoons of peanut butter, which is a serving, could actually be four tablespoons. And you could actually be having like, you know, 
a 700 calorie uh, lunch when you think, you know, it wasn't. So, yeah. Yeah. No, and that's that's a great point. And that's so that's actually the boat that I kind of find my, found myself in was I like during the, you know, six weeks or eight weeks, or whatever it was that I gained a bunch of weight. I, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to like come off as like, I'm not overweight. Like I'm still like my body fat is probably in a good range. I'm like still healthy. I'm like having an athletic build. Like it's not to say that it's just like, it's unusual for me to gain that much weight in such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I'm using myself as an example here, but I didn't think that I was eating unhealthy at all. Like what I realized though, with, with tracking my food, like once I realized like I had gained some weight and I wanted to track it, I was drinking like two to three protein shakes a day just because like it was like we got a new blender and like I was like digging <laughs> this like new, pro- like new like smoothies or whatever <laughs> like and I was like I was like oh I'm eating healthy like I'm you know like I'm taking in these smoothies and what I didn't realize was every smoothie had like 800 to a thousand calories like a ton of sugar you know like it's all natural like it's all coming from fruits and vegetables and like some you know protein powder but like when you add all that up it was like I was taking in 2500 calories of smoothies a day and like most of that is going to be in the form of like carbohydrate, which I'm not training as much. Like I'm not utilizing those carbohydrates as much. So it's just getting stored. So like you, if you don't track it and you don't have understand, like you're saying, like you don't realize like how much could be in each serving or you're over serving yourself because you're not, you're not measuring it appropriately. So it's super important to do that. Even if it's just tracking it for a week, just so you can get an understanding of like what your typical trends are on a weekly basis. And then you kind of find out maybe like working with a nutritionist or a dietitian you understand some guidelines then. And then now you can formulate a plan that you don't have to track it daily. You don't have to track it down to every single gram that you're eating all the time. But like, if you can figure out some, like a a trending plan, then it just gives you that guideline moving forward. It makes it a lot easier. I'm sure you could write the blender company and ask them to send you a a crappier blender so that you drink less smoothies. <laughs> that's such a that's such a man i feel it, for you man it was honestly that's too bad it was, you got, uh, it was you a got bummer. such a good blender man that's a bummer <laughs> you know dude it would like the smoothies are so good man i just like was craving them i would make like the entire thing so it'd be like 80 mm-hmm. ounces of oh, smoothie wow. and i drink the whole thing in a day so <laughs> yeah, yeah this is probably gonna piss some people off who really struggle with their weight i Personally, the lowest weight that I was all year, I dropped below 150 pounds. I think I was like 148 was the lowest number I saw on the scale all year. Uh, That was after my two-week off-season break. Um, And that happens to me almost every single year. If I stop riding, my appetite just falls through the floor and I don't feel like eating anything and I'm the lightest that I am all year. I think you see such. So you're talking off season break, like in the winter time, or are you talking in the in the fall, like a mid season break in the summer? No, not really. in the summer. In the in the fall, when I take two weeks off, when I don't when I don't do any physical activity for two weeks, I get the lightest that I ever am all year, which is probably the opposite of most people. Only at that point specifically, because you you're just coming off this like high this peak fitness your metabolism is absolutely revving like and then you just if your appetite drops i think like if you were to just take two weeks off now i don't think you would see that steep of a decline in weight possibly i think it's specifically the timing of that i i 
it that could be the case. I mean, I've never I've never stopped training for a year. Didn't you also get super sick during that time? I did get super sick <laughs> this year, but this the, again, this happens every single year. Like I okay. I I know exactly what my weight is going to do every year. I'm going to take 2 weeks off. I'm going to be the lightest I've ever been. Then I'm going to do two months of weight training. I'm going to be the heaviest I've ever been. And then I'm going to do base training and I'm going to be back to race weight every year. It happens. Um, I, I personally, you know, I've never taken more than two weeks off the bike. So I don't know what would happen if I just continued that indefinitely, like what my weight would do. I have a hunch that, uh, me being so active and riding a bike actually makes my body slightly heavier because it, it increases my appetite and maybe it increases my muscle mass slightly too. I think if I was just a dude who played video games all day, I'd be like one of those really skinny, skinny fat people who has no muscle and no fat. And I would actually maybe be 10 pounds lighter. Especially after that time of this season, I think you're, you're walking around with fatigue and inflammation. So as soon as you stop, your body starts to recover and I think you lose some of that information yeah, and that might of, be. It could be. A lot of people have, almost everyone I tell this to has the opposite experience. They take time off the bike and they're like, I gained 10 pounds in two weeks. Um, so, yeah. yeah. My appetite never decreases. Sure. So if you were if you were to all so, of a sudden yeah. stop riding for two weeks, you would probably gain weight. For sure. Because I, I would eat the same. Yeah. But I'm not burning two to 4,000 calories a day. So that's that's just like a personal anecdote, but if anybody wants to learn more about this and wants to do their own reading, I would highly recommend Matt Fitzgerald's Racing Weight book. <laughs> By far the best book <laughs> that that talks about nutrition for endurance athletes specifically. I've recommended it to like almost all the athletes I coach who I've talked about nutrition with. I can give them some guidelines, but I say if you really want to do a deep dive, read that book because it's super simple to understand. His whole concept is are like follow these six steps, but the six steps are so easy. It's like the step one is like eat what's most natural, I think, or like improve your diet quality. Uh, it's all one of the steps is to train right, you know, like to make sure your training is good. So a very simple uh, lifestyle change type of book. It's not a diet book. It's a it's a yeah, it's a lifestyle book. Yeah. And I feel like we should have prefaced this whole conversation by saying, you know, there, well, I guess we kind of did, you know, as a coach, it is something, especially in cycling that needs to be talked about. And I'm sure there's going to be people, at least somebody listening. That's like, this is too much. You shouldn't be talking about this. Well, listen, as somebody that's had, you know, gone two steps too far with this when I was younger, like eating disorder treatment center, the whole nine yards, you can give somebody a tool and it can be used appropriately. It's up to them on how how they use it. So I think measuring and tracking calories is important. I think measuring weight's important. But as coaches, we can recognize the signs of like when somebody has gone too far and there are good coaches and bad coaches. And um, you know, as a coach, we're not gonna say like we're not gonna, you know, be the old school way of thinking and see somebody that's like already a at a healthy body weight and say like, yeah, you, you would be faster if you lost weight. No, that's obviously not the case. So if you do have a coach that approaches things that way, you probably need to run the other way. So true. Didn't you have an, yeah. And if you want to learn more about nutrition, um, 
Drew, it's Savannah, and in the email is it still nutritionignitioncoachco.com? Correct. I think so. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, if you if you have specific nutrition questions or you want to set up a consultation uh, or start working with Savannah on a monthly basis, uh, yeah, you can reach out to nutrition at ignitioncoachco.com. She's going to be the one who's going to be much more well equipped to answer some of the more nuanced, you know, questions that are you know nutrition and diet related here. Mm. Should have had her she's on. Very, she's very involved in the world of cycling too. She helped out with Roadhouse when I was on the team. Uh, like she was doing some Swanier stuff for us at some races and stuff. And she's around cycling a lot. So, yeah, and I think that's important. Just working with a with an athletic minded uh, nutritionist or dietitian is helpful because they understand the ins and outs of athletic training and what some of the requirements are for your nutritional needs. You know, your average sedentary uh, American, their their needs are going to be different than your average athlete. Yeah. Um, even if their weight loss goals are the same, uh, you need to fuel your, your training appropriately. And, and Savannah can help you with that while still managing your weight loss uh, performance goals. What were you going to say, Dylan? All right. Well, that was, no, uh, that was a long... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you guys want you want to wrap wrap it up there? Or you want to uh, touch on some goal setting for twenty twenty four? I feel like we, we need to save a whole podcast for that. Topic. Yeah, yeah. I know. All right. Okay. We'll 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 maybe we'll kick off twenty twenty four with with some goal setting. Good call. Oh wait, next week will be right. that'll be the episode next week because that'll be the first one of twenty twenty four. Wow. <laughs> See you next year, guys. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks. We'll catch you next week. See you. Thanks to yeah. you. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn more about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go. Can I trust my coach? That's a good question. And we believe that you should totally be asking that question if you're working with a coach. And when it comes to the coaches at Ignition Coach Co., I like to say the proof is in the pudding. Every single one of our coaches has high levels of racing experience. Or in other words, our coaches are fast. And if they're fast, then they can make you fast too. I mean, come on. Who do you want to be your coach? The guy with a clipboard on the sidelines or the guy with his hands in the air crossing the finish line? I don't know about you, but I'm going with the winner. Sign up for coaching today at ignitioncoachco.com.